Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fat Freddy described me once as basically a tug, a, a dangerous person. And what really people think of him is that if there was a conflict, a feud, or a situation involving violence, Fafredi was particularly useful. Port Leash Prison, obviously, it's always described as Ireland's only high-security prison. Really, it's the, the top-level criminals go in there and they're under a different sort of regime than they will be in the normal prisons. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Ireland's most secure prison is a melting pot of some of the most dangerous, notorious and difficult inmates, where each landing is ruled by a top dog and where official and underworld rules apply. But troublemakers in the real world don't change behind bars, as killer Fat Freddy Thompson has proved in recent weeks, with his volatile behaviour and ability to fall out with family and friends. But who else is a prominent figure at Port Leash Prison and what is their role on the various wings? Today I'm talking with Niall Donald about the Turkish heroin dealer who's risen through the ranks of influential prisoners, of the television seizures that have pitted Thompson against his fellow lags and about the punishment wing. We also talk with journalist Chris Summers in London about the passport scam that has landed three senior cartel figures behind bars. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Freddie Thompson is um, a really divisive character, isn't he? Like he was always, when he was out before he was locked up for life for the murder of Dahi Douglas, he was either having, you know, he was in with the Kinnahans, he was out with them, you know, he was in with Daniel, he was out, he was supposed to be made mow the lawn when he was in trouble and then he was sort of pushed forward always as the, uh, agitator, the one who would suck up all the energy of the media and the police when he was in town um, for whatever reason, because, of course, that's not just because of his personality that, you know, that that can be done on purpose. But in prison in the last couple of weeks, he's really made uh, a knob of himself, to be honest with you. He's uh, first of all, he smashed up his cell after his mother died, tragically. And then he has been caught with a phone which he firstly he smashed one of the phones off the ground and swallowed a sim card that he had and then there was searches ensued of the cells and they upended the cells and found that he had hidden phones in the back of the television sets so they all got their televisions taken from them and um you know he's in that port leash sort of it sounds like a, a bit of a, a cooker doesn't it you know sounds like a bit of a pressure cooker i mean i think the Port Leash Prison, obviously, the, it's always described as Ireland's only high security prison. Mm-hmm. So really, it's the the the, the top level yeah. of of criminals go in there, and they're under a different sort of regime than they would be in the normal prisons. Obviously, it houses then as well uh, dis, the dissident figures as well on a on a separate wing. Um, yeah, Fafredi, you know. Every time, of course, we mentioned the uh, used to mow Christy Kinnahan's lawn. Yeah, somebody. 
emails or comments on Facebook. That's that's a load of nonsense or whatever. But I suppose it did always show, um, like Fat Freddy was the, you know, the most famous gangland criminal, maybe in Ireland at the turn of the century, maybe in the in the noughties. Um, but he, you know, and but he probably wasn't the mastermind. And what really people think of him is that if there was a conflict, a feud or situation involving violence, Fat Freddy was particularly useful um, in that in that circumstance. But in terms of managing a global operation, in terms of drug trafficking and money and all of that, that was not his forte. No, because wherever was his money? I mean, he's never been subject to a Criminal Assets Bureau investigation. There's no obvious wealth with him except those silly little man bag things that he wears (laughs) and the, um, the Canada Goose coats. Like, I mean, you never really see him in a flash car. Does he drive? Have we ever seen him driving? I think he always had people driving him around. He always had people driving him around. I don't know if he could drive or not. No, I don't think he ever really managed to, you know, we, of course you can't be sure, Mm. but money seems to have flown in and out of his hands. Um, You know, unlike say his his cousin's first cousin, Liam Byrne, who who certainly amassed a huge amount of wealth and we've heard that gone through the courts. Fat Freddy described to me once as basically a tug yeah, um, a, a dangerous person. Uh, I thought anti- you were going to stop him basic. Because <laughs> well, I think he is kind of basic. Yeah, but actually. I mean, obviously he spoke, you know, her. Do you know he loves being in the paper? He, he loves being on the front page and he will kind of question if he's not, if someone else makes it to the front page and his story is, you know, within the Pushback. book. Yeah, he, he kind of just can't understand that and he gets worked up about that and he keeps clippings of every time he appears and it's kind of a sort of a, yeah, well, look, you know, it's a simple kind of a, a mind, is it not? That would Well, I mean, he did. Yeah, look, he, he did speak before about about struggling with literacy and various things like that. Um, but, you know, obviously with the with the Kinnahans, before the feud, we were hearing and people were saying it in general that he was being pushed out of the, the inner circle that they'd had enough of him, mm. that they, you know, that he caused more problems than he solved and that he couldn't be trusted as as they really escalated into being a, a kind of an international drug trafficking mm. gang. His usefulness as a sort of an enforcer in Dublin had started to drop off. Um, however, he was, seems to have been brought back into the centre as the feud began because they needed somebody to, to coordinate a certain degree of violence on the streets and to, you know, to to recruit kind of younger men into doing jobs. But now he's serving life. He's appealing at the moment. He's, you know, some of his appeal was heard in recent times. But as he's gone into prison, that kind of antisocial and uh, aggressive nature um, seems to be rubbing people up the wrong way. Um, even Strange entry into prison, though, because, of course, they're in in Port Leash and top dog was uh, Brian Rattigan, his yeah. arch enemy, his the guy who he went to war with back in 2000. Those cocaine wars, I think there were 16 people murdered during that, that time. Yeah. Um, and of course, Rattigan stepped aside and said he had no beef with him. And, yeah. you know, he let him into the prison, which I still don't fully understand what went on there. I don't believe they've no beef. No. Rattigan's beloved brother, Joey, was murdered at the age of 18. Yeah. And uh, Thompson is suspected of being behind that murder. I don't think that ever. Well, I mean, I suppose. set aside, does it? The murder of a brother? I don't know. I mean, I suppose maybe it's maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I mean, who knows? But it seems I think Rattigan really wanted to, to get out, didn't he? He, he wanted to his yeah. parole and he wanted to be able to. Yeah, he wanted to be able to move on and parole and all of those things. Um, and it maybe didn't serve his purpose to carry on a, a, a feud in a very sort of confined place. Mm. Um, like Fat Freddy, of course, had been, you know, they, he had been very close pals with Brian Rattigan back at the turn of the century. We've gone through this before, but in a, in a basic sense, one gang split. They took two sides, became known as the Crumlin Drimna feud. Fat Freddy was always regarded as the leader of one of those sides. Um, he certainly was orchestrating a lot of the violence, a lot of the threats, a lot of the intimidation that went on, mostly in Dublin's in, south inner city. Um, he ultimately ended up out in Spain 
for large periods of time with the Kinahan cartel. And he still really directed a sort of a, a network of, of, of soldiers, really foot soldiers back in Dublin. But you can see over time that really the people, there was people pulling his strings mm -hmm. that were far cleverer, far smarter. And um, while he did have a, like he had a really strong hold, Fat Freddy, over kind of younger guys back in the city. Um, there was, you know, he wasn't uh, the mastermind of this whole operation. And his cousin, Liam Byrne, who managed for a large part of the time to have a much lower public profile uh, really was a much more important figure in terms of what was coming in and out of the country. Now, it's his other cousin, Liam Brannigan, who he shares the A-wing with in the prison. Yeah. And that's where they are. And uh, I understand that he um, actually dobbed the cousin in, said the phones were his <laughs> well, when, I mean, when they the, were caught. And uh, he's they seem to have fallen out now and Freddie's looking to move. Yeah, he's looking to move down to Limerick Prison, which if you speak to anybody within the prison system will tell you that Limerick is the last place you want to be. It's it's the worst of the prisons, they say. Well, I think, yeah, in terms of, not necessarily in terms of the violence or whatever, but just it's, you know, I think that it's higher so rates old is, and yeah, old and, and maybe less pretty grim going on. I mean, Liam Brannigan, um, of course, that's, the accusation people are saying about dobbing in, and you always hear this about various people. Uh, nothing has been proved, but Liam Brannigan was is Fat Freddy's first cousin, and um, he's serving a, a long prison sentence for his role in the attempted uh, hit on uh, um, Gary Hanley. Gary Hanley. So Liam Brannigan is a curious character, I think, mm. isn't he? I mean, we used to have pictures of him with the dicky bows and oh yeah, yeah I, I mean, those. Um, he was also played a key role in in the the Crumlin Drimna feud. He was always seen maybe as a kind of a, a sidekick of Fat Freddy Thompson. Um, he, but he was a more curious character, didn't he? End up back studying archaeology in UCD at one point. I think he's probably a more intelligent character yeah. than than his cousin Freddy, and he uh, is probably a slightly. You know, he's probably actually more dangerous and a little bit more sinister. Yeah. Um, from what I understand of him, um, he was better at keeping a lower profile for himself than Freddie ever was. I mean, Thompson just wanted the publicity. He yeah. wanted his name in lights, whether that be, um, you know, along a headline that he was a thug or violent, you know, out of control criminal. It didn't matter to him once he was up there. Um, and he loved the cameras following him and all the rest of it. But they have kind of seemed to have having a fallout there in prison. But as we say, it must be like a pressure cooker living like that. But we'll just have a little look at some of the other um, blocks, I suppose, in Port Leash and how yeah. Port Leash is run. So the A block on A2, apparently, uh, says A1, A2. And I think Liam Brannigan and Freddie are A1. And on A2, the boss there is Tommy Tossy Fox, is that his name? Tossy Fox. So Tossy Fox would be one of, uh, he was convicted of the murder of Garrett Hutch, which was part of the Hutch Kinahan feud. Now, Tossy Fox um, would have been. Did you ever know who he was before that? No, I think he was, he was a kind of a, a lesser light yeah. in what was described as the new INLA. And that's what, that's what we called it too. But really they were a group of kind of, uh, childhood neighbour friends, Childhood they? neighbour friends. Like Johnny Kyo and uh, Eamon Cumberton and... Yeah, they were kind of, they while they were they were kind of hired gunmen for the Kinahan cartel, mm -hmm. but they weren't part of the inner circle of the Kinahan cartel. They were in fact kind of non-aligned who ended up on the payroll as part of the feud. Um, certainly Johnny Kyo had been a member of the INLA at one stage. They seem to have still had a lot of connections with dissidents, but the days of them doing anything for, yeah. for a socialist republic were long gone. They were solely, um, you know, enforcers for hire. Jared Mackinac, of course, also would have been associated. Tossie Fox would have been, uh, you know, really the lesser light in that whole operation. I mean, so he, nearly all of those guys are in there together then in Port Leash now. Yeah, they're, they're nearly all in Port Leash. There's one of them currently facing trial. So yeah. it can't be named, but they're they're all in there and Port Leash. Uh, so they'd probably be on a separate wing than the, the people that are directly part regarded as part of the Kinnan cartel, although they'd obviously happily associate mm. with each other. They might be regarded slightly differently.
It's 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 amazing that, you know, one person it is and it isn't, I suppose, yeah. that one person comes to prominence and rules the landings yeah. and kind of is the boss. I suppose it's like any even friend group, like some more powerful personalities it, yes. might say, suggest what ha what's going to happen. And Yeah, I mean, you didn't watch Ch Chimp Empire on Netflix. I meant about, to watch it. The, uh, the, it's great. Tell uh, us about that's this. That's not to compare this people in prison or any human being to chimps, but basically it's just about how... It's it's a documentary about how uh, a group of chimps in 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 the jungle um, in Uganda and how they form these hierarchies. Yeah, and there's an alpha male, and yeah, you know. So these things happen in prisons or happen in life. They happen in. That's not just to say it happens in prisons. It happens in stockbroking firms. It does. Or, it doesn't or mean it's it's kind of teams. it's human nature rather than anything. Yeah, isn't it's it, a that part more... of yeah, it's a part of human nature that somebody becomes dominant. Yes. Now, obviously, in prison, you have a lot of violent criminals, and it's so the dominance can be more sinister than if you have your the head of the bad, local badminton team or whatever. Suggesting. But it also, funny enough, is to do with what, con you know, and Brian Rattigan was absolutely 100% in charge of Port Leash Prison, but he was also the guy that was getting all the drugs in. Yeah. And if you have that supply route, yeah. if you are the one that's kind of getting in the supplies or you have so you have access to something or other, yeah. you become popular, yeah. which is a little bit sort of like, you know, anything again. Yeah, but I mean, they have to, yeah, the, 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 the. The black market trade of drugs and phones in prison is, is hugely important, yeah. you know, in terms of who and whoever who controls can control that, that supply, yeah. and then they they control a degree as it goes down the line. The addicts ultimately are controlled by the flow of drugs within a prison system, which seems, you know, and it's not really a criticism of the prison service because it does actually seem almost unstoppable. Really, there's a, a prison there in Manila that I was in um, when I was over in the Philippines some years not ago. A, as, a, as a guest. As a guest. A like, as a guest, it's really weird. You can walk yeah. in off the street yeah, have and a have a look and they're all in cages in the middle of these sort of vast, almost like felt like a warehouse or yeah. something. Yeah. And the stench is overwhelming. Yeah. It really is. Um, I've never thought I would see human beings in the conditions they were in. Like, yeah. I mean, it is totally, would be totally contravene our yeah. attitudes to human rights and all the rest of it. But anyway, so looking in at this big cage and it's the men's prison and there's a door into the women's prison, which is beside, but yeah. one, one of the, the gang leaders has a key yeah. into the women's. Just. Yeah, really, really grim now. But um, so there's so many of them in this cage that they have to stand up. They right. cannot all sit down at the one time there isn't room for them. So they stand as if they're on a bus yeah. and then they get turns sitting down. But of course, it depends on how powerful you are, yeah. whether you get a turn or you don't. And there was this kind of shelf, like almost a mezzanine type of yeah. situation. And up on top of it, I just thought it was where they kept the food or something. And the next thing, this sort of guy's head came out. And he was the boss. He was the top dog. The, he was the top dog and mm. he got the bed. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he always lay down. He never had to stand right. up um, covered in these gang tattoos and everything yeah. like that. It was extraordinary, though, to see it. You know what I mean? And um, food is passed in through the bars of these prison by family. They don't get fed. Nice. So you have to have somebody. You have to have someone on the outside mm. who passes you in food. And then obviously there are charities, human rights charities yeah. who go along and they pass them in packages of food yeah. and again even that is kind of like yeah. survival of the fittest you know yeah. because the poor guys that are standing half the day in the, on the bus they aren't going to get their fair share no. they'll get the scrap whatever's left but that's an aside in A3 in Port Leash um, the notorious Warren Dumbrell is the top dog yeah I mean I think an A3 has a number of uh, who's in there do you know I, well, I, I'm not sure who's in there at the moment, but I think it's some of the more dangerous prisoners that right. are regarded as being particularly volatile, mm -hmm. like Warren Dumbrell. I mean, Warren Dumbrell is serving uh, life for the murder of Christopher Cawley. Um, but while he's in, been in prison, he's been involved in a number of uh, violent incidents, um, you know, including uh, there was a, a hostage scenario at one point a long time ago. So he's regarded as being one of the more dangerous criminals and some of these people are on enhanced regimes where they're they're you know they have a much higher degree of security on them they're not allowed to interact with prisoners in the same way and um Warren Dumbrell will be one of them he'd be regarded as being uh, probably the most one of the more volatile people mm -hmm. uh, in the in the prison system one of you know in the really 
top 10 of the mm. most dangerous prisoners. Um, a new guy went to school with him. Yeah. And he said that he was all right. Yeah. And then one day he was injured. Yeah, he suffered he, a brain injury. In yeah, a, you see, he fell off. They used to kind of call yeah. it skidding on the back of the Guinness lorries. Yeah. And they used to run along beside the Guinness lorries and hop on. Yeah. But he fell and one of the wheels ran over his head. You know, his head is kind of like peculiar shape. Yeah, yeah. It's because of that. And... This guy said that he completely changed. I mean, you hear people saying all the time, sometimes people get a yeah. knock on the head and their personalities change. I think it's an absolute fact that it can happen, yeah. you know, that if you have a certain, uh, I'm going to like display like uh, what? dodgy, dod no, dodgy, dodgy uh, medical information. But yeah. I think the frontal lobe, yeah. if you get an injury there, it kind of, some of that is to do with your, you know, how, how you know, how, it, where you know how you, what you should and shouldn't do and yeah. if you need to, you know, people having no restrictions in their behavior, you know. You know, they used to back in the kind of the olden days of criminological mm. yeah. belief, they used to believe that criminals were purely formed when there was damage at birth to the frontal lobe. Yeah. yeah. And they used to kind of like go and do studies and see how many of them were, you know, born with forceps births yeah. and all that right. sort of stuff. And then they kind of completely yeah. turned yeah. that on its head that it just wasn't the case that no. it wasn't a birth defect basically no no I mean it's not look I mean but there's no doubt about it it's just an absolute fact that, that yeah. brain injuries can change personalities you know yeah but um, weren't umbrella and didn't he have a canary or something at one point to well, try I mean, and calm down and also <laughs> a, a kind of a, a garden a serene a serene garden and yeah I mean they do have given out yeah I mean but look, I mean, these people are in prison for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, the staff have to work with them. I don't know how anybody works in that. No. And I'd say it must be such a hard job. But, you know, if you go back to Faf Freddy, I mean, he's really proving one to be one of the more troublesome prisoners for yeah. staff and for inmates alike. And, you know, there have been incidents of violence, uh, reports of, of intimidation of other people. You know, really, some of these people are really, really antisocial and difficult in the prison system. And he takes drugs, of course, if he can get his hands on them, Freddie. Anything yeah. except heroin, plenty yeah. of tablets. There was, uh, in recent weeks, there was three uh, drug drops caught by the prison officers. They came in over a wall in the yeah. exercise yard, which has been the traditional route yeah. for many of them. Um, they don't obviously catch everything, but then they realise where they're kind of coming from and they will police that. It's a constant game of... yeah you know, whack-a-mole with oh, the drugs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like there was, you know, the, the the amount of ingenuity to try and get drugs over prison walls, yeah. drones. Um, when they, at one point, putting them in uh, pigeons. There putting them in pigeons? Well, there was, and there was, you know, the tennis balls was another one. Look, back the pigeons? Well, there was some, there was some, there was some talk of, uh, you know, um, throwing a dead bird in there oh. with, with the things that the, the prison service wouldn't instantly look at that as being a drugs drop. Right. And there was other things about, I mean, there was all sorts all of sorts things of ways, that we reported yeah. of that they were putting. Do you know, I wonder if anyone considered training seagulls because there's probably no <laughs> seagulls in Port Leash, is there? It's just when I'm... <laughs> seagulls are untrainable, I think. <laughs> they are, but it's Joe, Joe always think yeah. that our own outdoor area yeah, here yeah, yeah. is a little bit like a prison yard yeah. because we have that netting around yeah, it to yeah. save us from the Dublin one seagulls yeah, of course who are who are seem to be getting bigger by the year they're getting they're bigger and they're really de but I mean they definitely if you could train them they yeah. could carry anything with those I mean, massive be, big feet they have a retirement plan Nicola <laughs> Nicholas Allen's drug smuggling we're, we're going to talk to Chris Summers shortly about uh, so a, a retirement plan for a significant uh player in the criminal underworld in the UK and unfortunately it's gone a cropper for him but anyway we'll come to that um, A4 the sort of the most prominent figure there is somebody who's facing trial so uh, we won't go into them uh, A5 I believe is the punishment landing and that's where Freddie Thompson was placed after the phone incident and all the rest of it um, now C1 is a uh, Another landing and Desi O'Hare yeah. there is top dog. And I think that Desi O'Hare is one of these model prisoners. He yeah. does a lot of yoga. Yeah. He doesn't watch TV. And that's where the likes of Jim Mansfield Jr. was sent. People who 
shouldn't necessarily be in the prison system or wouldn't be used to it are often sent to Desi O'Hara's landing because he kind of looks after people, which is really strange given that he's a sort of a self-professed, pretty much serial killer. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, like Desi O'Hara is, you know, the opposite to Fafredi in that, you know, he wouldn't be taking drugs. He wouldn't be doing Mm. all of that sort of stuff. Um, like obviously a huge portion of of Port Leash at one stage was dissidents yeah. figures. Now I mean the number of dissidents or or sorry Republican fig- figures yeah. back in the day, Provos, INLA, would have made up a huge portion of the population. But that really is getting smaller and smaller all the time. Mm. Um, so Desi O'Hare obviously is a the uh, the INLA. You know, he was, yeah. But, you know, he exactly. was kicked out of that, wasn't he? Wasn't well, it? it's a kind of it's hard I, to follow. Sometimes him. they 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 still have a kind of a in, in prisons they have these as kind of non-aligned, you know, Republican yeah. figures, um, which he'd be sort of regarded as in the prison. You know, he's not he's not fully Republican. But he not was fully in not. there many years ago and met up and became a lifelong friend of Eamon Kelly. Yeah. Uh, who went on to mentor many a significant character in Gangland, um, including Eamon the Don Dunn and others, and was shot dead himself at the age of 65, uh, having just got his bus pass. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, they met in prison and were lifelong friends. I think Desi gave the eulogy at uh, Kelly's funeral in which he sort of described him as, you know, this sort of son of Ireland. And uh, Yeah, I mean, Eamon Kelly would have been... Uh, had a lot of Republican connections back in the day. Mm. He would have been associated with the official IRA, though never a formal member. So that's what, uh, but I mean, really in the latter long part of his career, he was a, a cocaine trafficker, really. Um, the Republican aspect of it was was long gone. But because of his association, Eamon Kelly would have been kept with you know, Desi O'Hare back in the day. You yeah, know? I mean, they they definitely were absolute best friends. But anyway, Desi O'Hare is back in prison uh, because of his role in a, a kidnap and assault of a member of staff at the Mansfield Group, um, Martin Byrne, who remains in witness protection because he was, he gave evidence actually in the case of Jim Mansfield Jr., who was convicted of perverting the course of justice, but found not guilty of his role in the kidnap. It was all to do with a takeover bid um, by different Republican. Yeah, very murky protection, story. security and, and O'Hare and uh, Declan Wacker Duffy were basically caught red handed in yeah. the middle of it. And he's back in prison serving four years. In actual fact, he must be nearly coming to the end of that sentence, Desi O'Hare. He lives up uh, in Cady. Yeah. In Newry in a house, a little idyllic bungalow with his wife um, and he does the gardens and I think they grow mushrooms out in the back of yeah, the Yeah, and he seems to have been doing a bit of, uh, you know, construction work over time and, yeah, and doing he's in, a bit of labouring. Really religious. Very religious, yeah. Absolutely. Very strange, very strange kind of character. But I would say somebody I would absolutely love to interview. I think he yeah. is a fascinating character. Yeah. Um, when he got out of prison initially, do you remember Eamon Dillon, our colleague, actually followed him to Medjugorje yeah. and uh, yeah. they they found him out. He's big into, is it Padre Pio or somebody like that? I'm not, you're going to, again, you're see, you know all your criminals now, and you don't know no, your no, saints. No. Uh, yeah, well, he's big into Padre Pio. I mean, if you see, he had a I Facebook your mother page. would be disgusted with you that you mm, don't know who Padre Pio is. She's fallen off the, 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 the path of fate as well over the years. But um, no, uh, he, he was a very, yeah, and he has a very Catholic. Yeah. Um, went Christian, to mass I think. Is he not? Time. I don't think he's no, Catholic. I think, I think he's, he's one Catholic. of those. I, no, I think he's quite. Is he not? No, I think he's one of those um, uh, evangelicals. Kind of are. Yeah, is it born again in, Christian or? Well, oh, yeah. listen, we better stop here. Yeah, you better we're because, really because insult the evangelicals get tend not to be. They tend not to be into Padre Pio. I have to say, okay. Nicola. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Right. Um, in C three, Padder Keating. Now, this must be the real sort of Kinahan cartel wing. C three, Padder Keating, of course, was Thomas Bomber Cabin as number two, um, who was caught up in a plot to kill James Mago Gately with the Estonian hitman Imre Arrakis. And he's serving... Was he convicted of directing a criminal organisation? He was convicted of of, of uh, some of the... the uh, on the gangland charge yeah. as well as the conspiracy charge. Um, 
Patrick Keating. He's got a hefty sentence. I was there when he was sentenced, actually, and uh, his wife was there and they were both very upset. I actually was just listening to the ages of the kids at the time and I thought, cheapers, he's really going to miss a lot of their lives in prison. Um, He would be, what we've been told, one of the very much people who call the shots in that prison. Yeah. And that's kind of, that wing there would include... A number of people that would have been, I suppose, associated with the the burn organised crime group, which would have been headed up by Thomas Bob and Kavanagh. Although Killing Cartel and these people are happily interact with each other in the prison, it's again slightly different organisation. And that that Patrick Keating, by all accounts, is definitely one of these people who commands respect in that prison system. Absolutely, and you know, Keating was the guy who hired the hitman and everyone, you know what I mean? Glenn Clark was under him, was one of his guys. It was somebody else recently, uh, a very chaotic character that Keating had taken on, I was thinking about. Uh, Nelly Walsh, I think at some point he was linked to as well. As well, yeah. Yeah. So he was kind of, he was kind of in charge of a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, very, people. yeah. And I mean, obviously remember that Thomas Bomber Kavanagh had, you know, was part of the Ginning Cartel, but they had maybe their own franchise in the south of the south and west of the city, mm. um, where Patter Keating would have really controlled a lot of that operation and been very much his, his trusted right hand man. Mm. Now, beside them on C4, uh, which is uh, the second last of the landings we're going to discuss, but on C4, an interesting character called Ali Duran is. Top dog. Now, he's a Turkish, uh, an English Turkish guy who was actually caught with our old friend, Marcus Sweeney. Oh, yeah. Oh, say that name. Yeah. Launch the beast. Uh, but anyway, he was caught with him. Uh, he was arrested, Duran, um, as part of a, a heroin trafficking plot. And obviously, Marcus Sweeney was uh, released without charge and has no convictions in relation to drugs no um so uh, yeah ali duran um he would have been over in ireland as a contact point for a drugs gang known as the family the family you know at this point are probably ireland's largest or at least amongst ireland's largest gangs as the kin and cartel have receded with their footprint in ireland and the family would have would would have been based in west dublin and they would have had different supply routes than the Kinnan cartel, um, including true England, true uh, Turkish English gangsters, really, mm. particularly moving heroin across mainland Europe from Turkey, from Afghanistan to Turkey, across mainland Europe, into the UK and ultimately into Ireland. So he would have, uh, Ali Duran would have been a, a very much a serious player mm. in that operation. And he was convicted over here after, uh, you know, a, about one million pounds, one million euro, <laughs> euros worth of heroin was seized. Um, uh, so, but they carry those that respect mm-hmm. into that prison system. You'd wonder what else he carries into the prison system, though, that he's become. I spoke, we know nothing about no. his personality or his character. What has kind of seen him rise amongst strangers yeah. to the top of the the landing area? Has he got control over? Well, I mean, the something? family would would also be obliged to look after him yeah so yeah. they would have they'd have associates obviously in the in the mm-hmm. in the prison system people that you know across ireland they would have had people that that are supplied by them and they would have then been obliged to say this is our guy he's in prison here mm. ali Duran, he has to be looked after and and, and treated as one of us I suppose and Port Leash has always been seen as the kind of the place I wonder like with, with the organised criminals are there do they get the same privileges maybe the old school Republican um, figures used to get like E1 the last of the landings is where those guys are and Kevin Brainy would be top dog there. Yeah, Ke- Kevin Brainy um, he's an old school re- sort of yeah I mean he's serving life for uh, his role in the murder of Peter Butterly and um, he would be uh, part of the new IRA, part of the re- what was the real IRA. And um, Kevin Brainy uh, would uh, was regarded as being the head of the the Dublin wing of the the new, new IRA. IRA. And yeah. um, he would have been a real IRA figure as that morphed into the new IRA. And um, so they don't get the the the, 
the dissident Republican, the dissident IRA guys still get a different regime mm-hmm. than the um than the gangland criminals. Yeah. Um that's an historical thing. Obviously, it happened over a long period of time with the provisional IRA, um, where they were allowed to organize themselves uh, within the prison. I mean, I think, as far as I know, they still have murals up in, in you know, IRA murals up in, in, in their wing. They're given a, a degree of more freedom um, in terms of organizing themselves, making decisions you know, and obviously that that sprung out of a you know a horrific campaign of violence that was enacted by the provisional IRA against prison staff, and mm. um, that included murder. Um, so there there is still a different regime. Some people have called for that to end. Some people think it's legitimate, but they are, you know, at least informally regarded as political prisoners to mm. a degree. Kevin Brainy um, would be, you know, certainly a person of respect. There's still a lot of a good number of people behind bars for, say, the 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 the, the murder of Peter Butterly, um, but there's there far less uh, IRA guys mm. now, and that decreases almost every year. Um, there was a security audit in Port Leash. I'm sure they happen quite frequently um, in recent months, and of course, rumours are abound that there could be an extradition soon. So. Yeah, but rumors always abound. Certainly, um, but yeah, like you know, they, they're, they're, there's there's a sense that you know there's could be. Let's say if, for example, some of our friends in Dubai, yeah. the Kinahans, were yeah. if they were brought back here, any of them, because yeah. we don't know where they're going, where they're yeah. headed for, um, to do their porridge. But if they were brought back here, it would be Port Leash, where any of them won or any of them would be incarcerated. Yeah, you would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine they'd be straight away brought in there. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, obviously the, the other thing about Port Leash would be that it's not just protecting them from other prisoners. It's also making sure that they, they're not able to operate their criminal organization from behind bars, which has been a... Well, Rattigan. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, Good. but it is a threat that the, the prison service also... I think it's also, also so, you know, it's, it's also for those that might be prone to escaping because of course Noafal Fassi yeah. when he was in Port Leash prison um, he was the the Dutch Moroccan who was arrested here in a Kinahan safe house but when he was in prison awaiting extradition to the Netherlands yeah. they had to rush that along yeah. because they uncovered a plot to uh, have him bre- broke out of the Port Leash and Elrico the Chilean yeah. had um, you know, had put together a plan to fly him out of Port Leash Prison. Yeah, which is, you know, sounds sort of crazy, so, I suppose. Yeah. But you've seen it again and again now in Holland in recent times with Rita Wintaji. They've uncovered really elaborate plots to try and get him out of prison. None of them have actually been enacted, but they've been stopped before mm. they've happened. And of course, you know, if you have enough energy, resources and motivation. I mean, we've seen what did happen, of course, in, in, in Irish prisons during the Troubles. There was major breakouts arranged by the IRA. Yeah. Now, it would be harder these days. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it'd be harder, all right. But it's still not. I mean, it was a credible threat because the Dutch military, in actual fact, after they uncovered it, flew in and took him home. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it was definitely, yeah, it's a place of stories, I'm sure, behind those walls in Port Leash. There's uh, an incredible amount of uh, stories of people of, you know, terrible things that they've done. Yeah. Um, but also human beings who are living what for them is a normal life in, in that jail. Like, yeah, there's there's look, there's there's young people who've in there who've maybe committed terrible crimes, but, you know, they're in there with people that are. I think like Freddie Thompson, who have a genuine antisocial sort of streak to them, no matter what. And yeah, it must be, it's, it's, it's not somewhere you want to end up. It's not somewhere you want to fall out with people, though. I mean, I can't, I mean, Freddie, you're right. He probably has an actual antisocial issue. Yeah. That he's in prison with his cousin, you know, and that you'd fall out. Yeah. And, and then demand to be moved to the place where everyone says is the last place yeah. in the prison system you want to be. But there you go. Some people just don't know how to keep their mouth shut, do they? Um, we're just going to move now to the UK and we're going to just talk to Chris Summers about um, 
the passport story, which, of course, uh, three men have been jailed there in relation to providing passports to some of the criminals, the likes of who we've been talking about, and in particular to Christy Kinahan. So, Chris, the case against the two men who were basically supplying these false passports to Christy Kinahan and other criminals, uh, was that heard? Was it in the Old Bailey? No, I, for some reason it was at Reading Crown Court, um, which is, you know, just uh, west of London. Um, yeah, so I'm not quite sure why they chose to put it there, but uh, yeah, that it, it, it got a lot less sort of media coverage than it might otherwise have done, I guess. So what happened yesterday, Chris, at the sentencing? Okay, so um, there had been a trial which started in January. Uh, on the first day of the trial, uh, Anthony Beard pleaded guilty. Uh, so he was taken away. Uh, and his the two co-defendants, Christopher Zetek and Alan Thompson, went on trial. They were found guilty. And yesterday, all three of them were uh, sentenced um, for uh, basically... Um, you know, complicated charges, but basically uh, making these fraudulently obtained genuine passports. And the more important charge, which is perverting the course of justice, because obviously by doing that, they were allowing criminals to sort of stay on the run and avoid justice for a bit, for a, you know, for a, for a time. So what details were heard during the course of the trial about them and how they got their hands on these passports and how they got them into the hands of the likes of Christy Kinahan? Yeah, well, it's quite interesting because when when the judge sentenced them, he described it as a professional and skilled operation. But it was when you hear how they did it, it's not really rocket science. I mean, they were what they did. They were they had a you know a clientele of uh, customers of of gangsters who and and people facing murder charges who you know needed a new pass. They needed a passport with a, a new identity so that they could get out of the country or, or move across borders. Uh, people like, you know, people like Christy Kinahan, um, but a lot of a lot of Scottish gangsters, Christopher Hughes, um, James and Barry Gillespie, who are quite well-known villains in, in Scotland. Um, so what they did, they basically, uh, they, they recruited a bunch of, um, I mean, basically alcoholics and drug addicts and people who, who really, you know, are not going to need a passport themselves and were happy to uh, donate their identity for, for a you know, small sum of money. Uh, and then they would apply in that person's name, you know, under their name, their address. Uh, and the, the only thing they would change is the photograph. So they get a photograph, a, a passport photograph of the actual uh, sort of criminal customer who wanted a new photograph, new passport. Uh -huh. And they would switch it and they would get other people to sign the back of it saying, this is um, Christopher Hughes or whatever. Um, sorry, this is uh, Fred Bloggs, the actual um, yeah. identity yeah. donor. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it worked, you know, incredibly easy. You know, the passport office just approved these um, passports. And as the judge said, it, you know, once they were authorised, they were absolutely faultless. You're, ne you're never going to get stopped at a border. Mm. I mean, they, they seem to have had an incredible level of contacts um, with some of the most major league criminals across across the UK and Ireland. Um, I think they were charging up to 15,000, were they, for these passports? But some of the names included, for example, Michael Mugan, like who, mm. he was also extradited from Dubai for major league drug, drug trafficking. So they... they Anthony Beard and Christopher Zetek, they seem to have really had a, a heavy, heavy level of criminal contacts. Yeah, and that guy, Christopher Hughes, from memory, wasn't he charged or convicted in relation to the murder of the Dutch blogger Martin Koch, who was shot dead after he came out of a, uh, a nightclub sometime after the Kinnan and Hutch feud had begun? Yeah. He was a kind of a peculiar character, a sort of a citizen journalist who was writing about Rido and Taji and sort of, you know, the internal workings of his operation. Yeah, he and was Christopher Hutch was, was, was from Scotland, I think, and, and was flown over to the Netherlands. He was set up and, and shot. Yeah, that's right. They, they, there was... Um you know, a conduit between uh, Z, well, Z-Tech, whose real name is Christopher McCormack. Um, he's a well-known London villain who, 
used to work for the Adams family, you know, notorious London gang. He was like an enforcer for them. Um, so he obviously had a lot of connections and the, the trial heard that he had an EncroChat phone. Uh, and it was that through which he would communicate with all these Scottish gangsters. So they would basically tell him, oh, you know, we need a passport for this guy. Um, some of them would, you know, one of them actually came down to London to discuss his passport, but most of them, uh, would, they'd meet them in sort of places like Spain and Italy where they were sort of hiding out, um, and then hand over the, you know, hand over these passports. So it was kind of like a retirement number for the, <laughs> the enforcers of an earlier day, was it? Yeah, it, it did almost seem like that. You know, it was a uh, nice little learner where, where he was sort of, He's 67, so he's maybe a bit too old to do armed robberies and whatever, which apparently he had, um, he was one of the best sort of armed robbers in the country at one point. And then an enforcer, um, you know, maybe 67 year olds don't go around uh, enforcing for gangland uh, yeah. families. But um, yes, he still had the contacts and he, he thought, okay, yeah, I know, I know Anthony Beard was this guy who, who'd been doing this uh, for 20 years. He knew exactly how to play the system. Um, and the, the two of them teamed up, you know, one had the contacts for the customers, the other one knew how to do it. Um, so for a while it worked really well and they were making a lot of money. Now, the Irish wing of the Kinahan operation were previously found here to be running a similar. Yeah, there was a guy who's just come through the courts in, in recent months. Um, he was, uh, he described himself as suffering from addiction problems. Uh, he was living up in, in County Loud. And his pa his name and identity was used by Daniel Kinnahan, um, to get him a passport. I mean, it was the same sort of thing. He said he was approached by a third party. Um, he took a sum of money. Never met Daniel Kinnahan. Had the 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 guardy agreed that he had no connections with the gang, um, but he was basically a down down on his luck type, and he he got a, paid a flat fee. Uh, through this third party, and Daniel Kinahan then used his passport and moved across Europe during the height of the feud. So it, do, it does seem, as you, as you said yourself, it doesn't seem that you need to be a criminal mastermind to do this. I wonder, is it something that that is stoppable um, with the new wave of passports that are going to come? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I did ask that question. I mean, I tried to get um, an answer from the Home Office who you know, represent the passport office, you know, about why, what they've done to what sort of added layers of security they've done to sort of stop this happening. Um, and they, they basically didn't answer. They, they came back with a sort of, uh, a statement about this case particular and how, you know, we work with a national crime agency to get these guys, uh, convicted, but they didn't actually answer the question. So no, you wonder it, whether yeah. it's, it's impossible to stop unless they use some sort of facial recognition software because, um, you know, obviously the difference was that they were, I mean, some of these people were renewing their passports. Um, they deliberately sort of chose people who looked a little bit like the, um, the actual guy who needed the passport, but they, they were very different looking, you know, and uh, facial recognition software would obviously say that's not the same person. So you wonder whether they're, they're using that, and they just don't want people to know that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, this isn't, it's really very difficult to stop this. As long as you can find people willing to mm. donate their identity and other people willing to, you know, lie and say that is the, that person, um, then it's, it seems almost impossible to stop. And did you have, was there any details given about, uh, uh, Christopher Zetek or McCormick, like he did seem to spend a lot of time in Ireland as well. It was it was said, I think, in the sentencing hearing. Yeah, he well, he they said that he spent most of his time sort of between well in Spain, you know, during the lockdown. When the lockdown happened, he he went to live in Spain um, for about eighteen months. Um, so I think probably one he was in Spain, he probably had a lot of contacts with Irish gangsters and and other. Um, villains um but yes he he had a lot of connections you knew a lot of these scottish guys and obviously he's been in he's been in the underworld in london for years so he uh he probably has a very um stocked contacts book of, of uh who's who of uh crime 
I presume, Chris, that the sentences reflected the previous convictions of the trio and, you know, um, possibly the the two, obviously, who didn't uh, plead, got a lengthier sentence because they forced a court, a court case to be heard. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised the sentences weren't longer because I remember a case uh, quite a few years ago, um, a Liverpool gangster called Johnny Hass, who um, he was given 22 years for perverting the course of justice. Um, I mean, that was quite, that was a bizarre case, but that was maybe the extreme lengths of it. But yeah, eight years for Zetek didn't seem that long, really, considering, you know, he was, what he was doing was allowing murderers and, and very heavy, heavy duty criminals to, to stay on the run. Um, the other guy, Beard, got, uh, 15% discount for a guilty plea. So he, he got basically sort of six and a half years. Um, and Thompson got three years cause he was a, he was a very, you know, small player. Right. Um, all of them have got, you know, quite serious health issues. Um, I think Zetek has got prostate cancer. Um, Beard, who amazing, if you look at the photograph, photograph of him, you would not believe he's 61 years old. He looks at least 70. Yeah. Um, he's, he's apparently a chronic alcoholic. Um, so right. <laughs> that, the, the, the booze has not been kind to him, but, um, yes, you wonder whether. And in the UK, usually the, when there's a, a, a sentencing, they will serve half and the other half on license. So you can, yeah, that's right. They're, so they're only going to serve half those sentences as well. So, um, and a proceeds of crime yeah. case often follows a conviction in the UK when they have to detail all their assets. Was there any suggestion of that or do any of them appear to have after their, some of them, their lengthy criminal careers? Have they, have they managed yes, to I collect think anything? Z-Tech is the one they would be going for, for the money. Um, I don't think Beard has much money left if, you know, whatever money he was making out of it, I think he sort of drank it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thompson got very little. So, yeah, Z-Tech is the one who might have some assets that they will be going for. And All there right. was there was mention of proceeds of crime hearings. You know. Hearings, OK. OK, Chris Summers, thank you very much. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.